I am excited, usually am when I'm up here, to continue our series on the parables. Um, Jesus truly was one of the greatest storytellers uh, known to man. Uh, but as Brad reminded us last week, usually when he was telling stories, they're not your typical uh, tuck-you-into-bed kind of stories. They don't leave you feeling kind of warm and fuzzy after he's done with them. In fact, if you'll read through the Gospels, one of the things you'll see is if you pay attention to the listeners that, that, that are around Jesus while he's telling stories, they're almost always left confused, frustrated, astonished, or probably most often, angry, <laughs> upset about what Jesus had said. See, Jesus told these parables to shock people and often to expose some sort of hypocrisy of, or wrong way of thinking in the listeners that he was communicating to. And I love uh, this graphic for our parable series because I think it communicates a very simple truth about parables. That when you just look at them on the surface, there's probably some good stuff there. But as you dig a little deeper, um, there's so much truth and life application that we can learn uh, from God's word in the parables. So I think it's just uh, great that we're going to be doing this throughout the summer. So our parable today is found in Matthew chapter 20. What I'd like to do is just read verse 1 through 16. Uh, I'll pray and we'll go ahead and dive in and get to work on this parable. Does that sound good? I do this again. Does that sound good? Yes. Yay. Let me pray. God, I, I ask that you would help us today as we read your word to, uh, to be changed. Lord, your word has power. And it's not about what I say and, or, or what I do, Lord, but it's about what your word says and what it communicates to us today. Help, help me and help all of us to be changed through the reading and hearing of your word. You are a good father. We're, we're thankful for you, uh, even on a day like Father's Day. Uh, bless us today, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. Well, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first 
will be last. Jesus' listeners would be very familiar with the context of this parable. Grapes were one of the primary crops, uh, one of the primary sources of income in Israel. You would have seen them throughout the countryside, particularly on the hilly, kind of sloped uh, parts of the countryside. And it was very common, particularly during harvest, but there might be some other times as well, but the peak seasons of work for the owners of these vineyards to need extra help. So they totally understand what's going on in this parable. There was uh, usually a marketplace that was the center of village life where uh, the owners would go and they could hire uh, day laborers to come and work. And um, there's some debate over this idea of denarius, really how much it was. Uh, most people agree it was about a, uh, a day's need. So it was usually what a, a person for, you know, for family needed. But some people actually say it was, it was more than that. It was, was what was given to pay as soldiers. So there's a little bit of debate. But at the end of the day, it, it is at least the day's uh, wages for what is needed. So they'd be very, very familiar with the context of this, the workings of this. But nothing, nothing about their culture could prepare them for how this parable actually ended. Nothing could have gotten them ready to hear that the person who came and worked only one hour in the vineyard was paid the same as those who worked there all day. Quite simply, that was not fair. Any dads ever heard that one before? Perfect on Father's Day. That's not fair. This was not how things were supposed to work. If you, if you could put yourself just in this parable for a moment, I think that's one of the best things we can do is, where do I fit into this? As, let's, let's put yourself in there as one of the laborers who've, who's been there all day. You've worked and sweated and, and, and just poured yourself into this work and then as the pay comes, you watch the person who's been there an hour and you get a denarius. They get a denarius. They get a full day's wage. That's what you agreed to. I know what my mind would be doing. I'm doing math in that moment. 12 days wages are coming my way. Normal work day was 12 hours. Uh, so they had been there most likely 12 times what this other person had been doing. I mean, I'm thinking I'm making bank. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking but only to kind of have the, the bait and switch pulled on me where I receive the very same that all the rest of the employees or of the day laborers were paid. That's not fair. So what are we supposed to learn from Matthew chapter 20, from this parable? What are we supposed to understand? Well, one of the things I, I, I want to make sure we, we address is it doesn't really tell us who the listeners are. Uh, most people would agree that he's probably talking to his disciples um, after the parable of uh, the rich young ruler, kind of continuing to communicate some things to his disciples, but it doesn't really say. But, but what do we think today the Lord would have us learn? I can promise you Jesus was not prescribing a new economic system. This is not about economics, that everybody should be paid the same no matter what kind of work they do. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is like, so it's not about this world. This is all about kingdom economics. How things work in the spiritual realm. The key to this parable, though, is actually found in the last verse of our text, 
and actually the verse that directly precedes our text. Let's look at that together. Let's start in 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then in verse 16 of 20, so the last will be first, and the first last. This is no coincidence that these two verses sandwich our parable. No coincidence whatsoever. So what does this mean? What is the point of this text? Once again, I do have to make sure I tell you first what this this little uh, proverbial saying means. And it's important that we know what it doesn't mean first. We've seen these things. If you read through the Gospels, we see these kinds of phrases multiple times. This is not the same one that we would see in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. I'll read the first, the one that comes in 9, 35. It says, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10 reads very similarly uh, and communicates the same thing. These two verses are all about humility and sacrifice and service. Um, But that's not what our text today is actually about. They read similarly, but they are not the same. In Mark 9 and Mark 10, it's a command. Be humble. Serve. If you want to be counted as first, you must make yourself least. But in, Mark, or in Matthew 19 and 20, what we come upon is a statement of truth. It's not a go and do this. It's simply the first will be last, the last will be first. So what is it actually saying? Well, I think Matthew 19 and 20 are communicating specifically equality. Equality. Specifically, the kind of equality that is found at the foot of the cross. That all believers experience equal amounts of saving grace through Christ. So when you talk about all become, the first becoming last and the last becoming first, think about a race. It's like they're all finishing together. It's not about exchanging first place for, for last or last for first, but about everyone receiving the beautiful grace of God in salvation. See, in this parable, uh, the main uh, character of this story is not the laborers. The main character is the owner. It's not about these laborers, although they get a lot of the text. It's all about the owner and what he does. This is God extending his grace to sinners like us. This is a picture that shows us no matter where we come from, no matter what kinds of gifts or talents we have, or what we bring to the table in this life, God's saving grace was equally and lavishly extended to all Christians. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all about the kingdom economics, the beauty of grace. So to really understand this parable and then to dig down a little bit deeper and see what can we pull from this, what can we learn from this, I want to draw your attention to three uh, important ways that understanding a robust view of God's grace will shape the way that you think and the way that you live. And we can learn them right here in Matthew chapter 20. So the first one is this. This parable should help us Remember that God initiates by extending grace to the needy. God initiates by extending grace 
to the needy. One of the things that I think is quick to overlook, and I think it's one of the most important things in this text, is the owner of the vineyard was the initiator. He went to that marketplace and grabbed the laborers. As I said earlier, often this marketplace was a public arena where lots of different things happen. And so these laborers would have been, would have been standing there just hoping that somebody might come along that can put them to work. And the owner went there and brought them into his vineyard. He said, come and I will pay you. I will give you this. I think it's interesting if you read through this text here that not only did he go out early in the morning at the beginning, but he went back four more times. Four more times. And it doesn't say, well, he had so much work to do, he needed to find more people. It's almost by the end like he walks through the marketplace and again is like, there's more people here. There's still people here. And he keeps inviting them into the vineyard. This is an excellent picture of the God we serve and an excellent understanding of the gospel. That God is an initiating God. God comes after his people. God pursues sinners and brings them into his kingdom, into the vineyard, as we would read here. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but is a gift of God. God is a giver. He's an initiator. And we always need to remember that. We need to understand and remember that I'm not in God's kingdom because I'm smart. I'm not in God's kingdom because I connected all the dots and, and they just said, hey, well, the evidence is clear. I don't know what they're thinking, but it just makes sense to me. So it's where I'm going. That's not how you made it into the kingdom of God. You don't have the right to look around and just wonder what the world would be like if everybody just did life like you. You see, God came after you. God came after you. He walked into the marketplace, said, come to my vineyard and I will give you this. We must remember that God is the initiator of grace. But also, we have to remember that God extended his grace to the needy, to those in need. You see, day laborers in this time were barely a step above beggars. Barely. They, if they did not find work this day, their family would not eat. They were standing there just hoping and praying that somebody might give them a shot to make enough money to buy some bread. They knew they were needy. That's why they were standing in the marketplace. They knew they needed God. I love Romans 5, 8. That reminds us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. Christ died for us. That's a picture of the gospel. And here we see it in our parable that these were needy people. They needed help. And the owner came into the marketplace, invited them into his vineyard and provided for them what they needed. We must wake up every day remembering 
remembering that God extended his grace towards us through Jesus Christ. Wake up every day remembering that. That we were dead in our sins. That we were without hope. That we were hell bound. And God had mercy on us. And he brought us into his kingdom. Once again, this is kingdom economics. God came after us. Think back for just a moment throughout your salvation story. So if you're a Christian here today, think back to to how the Lord got, got a hold of your heart. If somebody asks you to tell your testimony or or how the Lord saved you, would you say a lot of things with the word I? Well, I was, or I was going, or I tried, or I did, or would it be God did? God showed up. God orchestrated. God put these people in my life. God showed me my sin. You see what I'm saying? Think about your salvation story. Is it, are you the central character or is God the central character in your salvation story? We must remember that God is the initiator of grace and he gives his grace to those in need. But that's not the only thing we can learn here in this text. It's a great, great start for us. But we also uh, can learn a few more things that it should help us, you and I, it should help us trust God's sovereign choice in dispensing God's grace. It should help us trust God's sovereign choice in dispensing his grace. Think for a moment with me about the owner. So we already, uh, we already talked about the fact that he's an, an initiator. But he also picked who would come to him in the vineyard. I don't get the picture that these were the only people out there that day. They're usually full of people. But he picked them. He brought them into the vineyard. And some of them he brought at the beginning of the day. Some of them he brought in the middle of the day. And some of them he brought when the work was almost done for the day. What does that mean, Ryan? Why would you even make a big deal about that? Well, I think at the end of the day, um, we, as Christians, um, often think we would make a better God than God. I think we think that, you know, God, if you would just seek my counsel every once in a while about how to work these things out, I, I got some great, great ideas for you. I think we often think we know best about who, who God's grace should go to and when they should be saved. But God is clearly not only the initiator here, but he's also decisively deciding when to bring people into his vineyard. At different hours, at different times. And some of them when the work was, was almost done. Well, how does that apply to us today? Well, first of all, we just have to remember that God does what is best because he knows what is best in his own eyes. It reminds me of the thief on the cross in Luke 23. You can turn there. I want to read that really quickly for you. Uh, Luke verse, or chapter 23, verse 39 reads like this and following. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, 
saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, or he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. When you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is really good for our souls. While one thief continued in his rebellion against a holy God, the other thief's heart was softened. He recognized that he was getting what he deserved, but that Jesus was truly innocent. Let's just be real for just a moment. What did this dude have to offer Jesus? Nothing. He was hours away from death. He was never going to be a man who uh, grew up to plant churches like Paul. He was never going to be a man who uh, would pray day in and day out for the hearts of the lost. He was never going to be a man who would work a great job, make millions of dollars and give it to the poor and fund missions efforts. That was not his role. In a matter of hours, he would be with Jesus in paradise. He had nothing to offer. But in God's kindness and in his sovereign plan, he dispensed his grace in that moment. At the end of this man's life. If I had written this man's you know, salvation narrative myself, it wouldn't work out like this. I would want the man saved at a younger age so he could go on to do great things for the Lord. But that's where I'm reminded I'm not in charge. God sovereignly planned this to work out like this. He decided this is what is best for all humanity. Have you ever, have you ever given up on someone? Have you ever, have you ever had somebody that you love or just somebody that you know who's just, running hard from the Lord, and you just kind of assume they're never going to know Christ. I know I have, so I want to stand here and say, I, I have. And at the heart of this, I want to remind you today that it's not a lack of trust in the other person that's going on in your heart. It's a lack of trust in a saving God and the power of the gospel. When we label somebody as there's no shot, We are pronouncing that we don't trust that God can save. Or at the very least, we don't think he does. And that is wicked. It's heartless. It shows no trust for God. I've done this. I stand here and want you to hear my heart. I do this. In student ministry, I've seen it. I've done it. I have wrestled in my heart while watching young men and women run as far away from the church and as far away from God and as far away from the things the Lord loves as they can. And I've gotten discouraged and wondered if God still does things that he says he does. But I have just as many stories of God radically changing a life that I would never think would have been changed. I know of students who have left my ministry and gone to college and pursued all kinds of crazy things. 
only to let the Lord get a hold of them. Or a student who's left my ministry and me just wonder, man, is this one going to make it? Do they even have a shot only to watch them submit their life to Christ, for God to grab hold of them, for them to start living radically for Christ on their campus? I have just as many stories of that. God works and is sovereign over salvation, not only in who he dispenses his grace to, but when he dispenses his grace to them. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody is too far down the road uh, of sin and of uh, lifestyle choices and all of those things. Nobody is. God can save anytime, anyone, anywhere. And until we trust that on a daily basis, we will walk discouraged and defeated. But God is more powerful than that. Uh, a very personal story for me. I was down in uh, Louisville about a few months ago for a conference called Together for the Gospel. Uh, it's about 10,000 people from all over the nation and actually from other countries that gathered really just to be encouraged in the gospel and sit together and worship together and hear good teaching and just be, uh, just be uh, kind of built back up for another season of ministry. It happens every couple of years. And I was going to meet one of my buddies down there from high school um, who uh, he was working down there at the time. And so we were going to spend some time together. And uh, one of the times we were talking, he said, hey, so-and-so is, is here at the conference. And this was a friend from high school that we both went to the same high school. Now, we don't normally just run into people from my high school. We went to high school in Germany. So it's, it's, it's not like you're walking down the street, you know, sitting down, you know, barley corns. And be like, hey, what's up? We went to Simon Kenton or we went to Ryle together. No, when you run into people, you're like, oh, my gosh. And so my buddy, well, my buddy said, hey, I ran into this person. And so my first inclination was, really? Here? Because I remember this guy in high school. This is not where he ends up. I remember this guy was a punk in high school. I lived in fear of him for a little while in high school. And so... Uh, not only that, he was working for a seminary while he was there. So then I'm like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. So we, uh, we, we made some time. We went over to the table that he was working. And I got the biggest hug from this guy. I, he would have never hugged me in his, in a, in his lifetime. Uh, biggest hug. Uh, we just asked him, can you tell us your story? Because I looked at him and said, man, you were a punk in high school. I told him to his face. And he said, yes, I was. <laughs> and so we talked for a little bit. And just short 15 minutes got to hear what God had done in this man's life. He had headed off to college. He uh, had pursued the party scene, drinking, girls. Um, just kept going after it. Never found what he was looking for, but couldn't figure out what else to do. Uh, and then he got in a really serious car accident where he, he, he probably should have died, but he walked away almost unscathed. And it shook him to his core. It didn't, you know, Jesus didn't show up in like a, you know, a picture in the clouds and he just trusted Christ there. That's not what happened. <laughs> but he, he was shake, sh just shaken up. And then over time, the Lord started to grab a hold of his heart, showed him his sin, showed him his need for a savior. He rep repented and trusted in Christ. And now we're a few years down the road. He's working for a seminary, hoping to do full-time ministry. But it's also real in his life. He lives in an area where there's a, uh, a mosque 
And he grew up as a missionary kid ministering with his family to Muslims. So he's building relationships with these Muslims at this mosque to share the gospel with them. That is not the dude I knew in high school. He was one of those I, I would have written off. But God didn't write him off. God is the initiator of grace. He's also sovereignly ruling and reigning over grace. And he also is deciding not, necess- not just to whom it goes, but when it goes. He's another one of those, if I could rewrite that salvation story, I would have much rather have him been much nicer in high school. I would much rather have him gotten saved, you know, at a young age, show up on the scene at, at our high school and in my dorm and just be one of those godly men that I wanted to be like and that didn't, wasn't, you know, troublemaker and didn't make life hard on everybody else, but that was not his narrative. And there's a reason God didn't put Ryan in charge. I don't know everything, and I can guarantee you I'd figure out how to screw it up. It was just such a good moment for me to to look this man in the eyes and see God work. God is in charge of these things. So as we read through this, this parable, we see this owner who is going after people. He's bringing them into the vineyard. They were desperate and needy, and he's inviting them to come and be a part of the vineyard, to come into the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of uh, Romans 9, 15, which, which tells us that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. God rules and reigns over all these things. We see something similar in Matthew 20, verse 15. This is one of my favorite lines in the entire parable where it says this, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? (laughs) So good. Just as the owner can do whatever he wants with his own finances, so God gets to freely dispense grace as he determines because grace belongs to him. It is this kind of sovereign grace that moves us not to despair, that pulls us out of worry, that presses us into prayer because we know that God delights in saving his people And he is in charge of both the recipient of his grace and the timing with which it will be received. There's one more thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning. Not only do we need to remember these things, not only do we need to trust that God is sovereign, but I think we should be challenged from this parable of God's unmeasured uh, or, or grace beyond measure. We should be challenged to thank God, in humility, for his generous grace in our life, for his generous gift of grace in our life. Let me read the back section of our parable again, because that's kind of where we'll finish up our time. And on receiving it, starting in verse 11, sorry, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend... I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? 
or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is where we get to kind of look through a window into the hearts of these laborers. They truly had bore the weight of the work. They had worked harder and longer than anybody else in that vineyard that day. They worked 12 hours. And the other worker at the very end had worked only one. Yet they had been paid the same. Once again, to put myself in the text, I would be ticked. I would be. I would be thinking, if not saying, that's not fair. But you should be glad that God is not doing what's fair. Do you realize that? You don't want this to be fair. You don't want God to do what is fair. Don Carson put it like this in his book, How Long, O Lord. He says, do you really want nothing but totally effective, instantaneous justice? Then go to hell. That's where you'll find it. You realize if God is only going to do what is fair, that's where we all belong. We don't belong in the vineyard. We belong stuck in the marketplace to bear the wrath of God. There's no truer statement that I've read than this. This is where instant justice is received. We are all, every one of us, rebels of the one true holy God. He would have been just and right to send us to hell for eternity to bear the wrath of God. But he didn't. He didn't. Just like the owner of the vineyard was under no obligation to hire these laborers, God was under no obligation to save sinners, but he did. The back end of of that verse 15 is a very interesting phrase in the original languages. It reads, in your scriptures, do you begrudge my generosity? In in, uh, the original language, it would be something close to, why is your eye evil? Why is your eye evil? communicates this sort of jealousy, this, uh, this inability to be grateful and thankful for what they have received. Those hired first were so preoccupied by what they deserved or what they thought they deserved, they failed to rejoice in the generosity shown to others. So why were they upset? I'll tell you why. They forgot that they were once in the marketplace. They forgot that they were once not in the vineyard. They forgot that they were once dead in their trespasses and sins and now are not. That's why we talk about gratitude for the gospel. When you wake up in the morning, we need to start by being thankful for what God has done in our life. Because we were once in the marketplace and now we're in the vineyard. We were once uh, not a people, now we are a people, as some other scriptures would say. This is a window into our own hearts. We can be so caught up in what we bring to the table as Christians. Okay, God has saved us now. Look at what I'm doing. Maybe it's our skills or our hard work. But at the end of the day, we fail to rejoice when God works miracles in other people's lives. We forget that God's saving grace, God's saving grace is equal in measure to all believers. 
One of the reasons I think that this is communicated to the disciples kind of following the, the parable of the rich young ruler was kind of how they handled this idea of salvation there. And if you read through the Gospels, you run into so many times where the disciples are power hungry. They're, they're wanting to kind of supersede one another and, you know, they want to know who's going to sit next to Jesus. And, and even right after this, one of their moms is going to ask, hey, can, my, can, you, can you give my kids some special, a special place with you? There's this, this forgetfulness to the fact that I've got no business even being in the kingdom of God but for the grace given to me. This whole parable is all about the grace of God extended to believers, which is equal in measure to all who trust in him. I love how John MacArthur explained it, and this is in your bulletin there. Everyone who enters the kingdom receives the full abundance of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That's true no matter how long you have worked in God's kingdom. It's true no matter how hard or how easy your circumstances are. It's true whether your service was minimal or maximal, whether you die as a martyr or in the prime of your life, or live a fairly peaceful life and die of old age. It is true of those who come to Christ in adolescence as it is of those who genuinely repent of their sins at the end of a profligate life. When this earthly life is over, if you are a believer, you will go to be with Christ just like that thief on the cross, just like the Apostle Paul, and just like every other saint who has died since. That is the mercy and grace of God extended to his people. This is grace beyond measure. So do you struggle to rejoice when you hear of people coming to know Christ? I would hope the answer is mostly not. But let me ask a few more questions. Has anybody who's hurt you in the past repented in trusting Christ for salvation? And you've sat there just wondering, man, that person really hurt me. That person really hurt me. But now they've received salvation. They've received ultimate forgiveness. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Or maybe I have heard this. And I, want, I, I don't know that it's, it'll surprise some of you, but it may. I've heard this particularly of people who've grown up in the church. When they see somebody who gets up here and gets baptized, maybe their testimony's up here, and you hear about this lavish lifestyle of sin, Sleeping around, doing drugs, all these kinds of things. I've heard people say, man, I wish I'd gotten to do that before I was saved. That's wicked. That is wrong. They basically want to have experienced uh, the, the, the temporary pleasures of sin. In a context where now it's all wiped clean. I've heard these things in the church. Can we rejoice when we see that up there? We must rejoice. For our eye is evil. And we're begrudging the generosity of God. And at the end of the day, we probably just think we're pretty cool and, and God would have saved us anyways. God's grace is far bigger than anything we can imagine and understand. And this just, just barely touches uh, the surface. 
David Platt in his commentary on Matthew says, God doesn't owe us salvation for something we have done. He gives us salvation despite everything we have done. Salvation is a free gift of divine mercy, totally devoid of human merit. God owes us nothing, yet he gives us everything in Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remember that God initiates by extending grace to the needy. We must trust God's sovereign choice in dispensing his grace to specific people and at specific times. And every day we must wake up and in humility thank the Lord that we are now in the vineyard. That we are now one of his people. That when we were desperate and needy, he saved us. In a moment, we're going to close in song. I love just uh, worshiping the Lord after remembering these things. But before I do that, I want to give you guys some time on your own to interact with the Lord in prayer. I want to give you some time to talk to the Lord uh, in your, the quiet of your heart. And if you're a Christian in here, so if that's you and you say, I have trusted Christ for salvation. Uh, I have experienced this grace. I'm a new creation. This is just simply a time to rejoice. You should be sitting in your seats, uh, just bubbling over with this gratefulness. Oh God, you have forgiven me. So I want you to use this time to rejoice. But some of you in here do not know Christ. And I want to speak to you for just a moment. This is reality that we live in. If you will look around at the world You cannot miss the brokenness in our world. You cannot miss the brokenness that we see in people's lives. Friend, you need help. I needed help. So let me just say that first. I'm no better than you. I was there and I needed help and God worked in my heart. But friends, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at your own life and you can see this to be true. There's a day coming when Christ will judge all people and we will be held accountable for our lives. How will that go for you? I promise you answers like I've been good enough or I've tried hard enough will not suffice. Perfection is the standard. And so when we confess that we are not perfect and that only Christ was perfect, we can receive hope and salvation. So I want to give you some time to just be quiet and think about that. And maybe you leave here and have a conversation with somebody you came with. Uh, maybe you just have some questions. Uh, I just want you to know that Christ would say to you, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I would give you rest. You can find grace today.